Jacob, how are you? I'm good, Aaron. How are you? Jacob, I'm doing great. Jacob, long time no talk. I know, it's been a while. For our listeners, it, it's only been a week, but uh, what they don't know is that we've stocked up those last three, four, or five weeks, and and uh, some of those we recorded many months ago. So for you and I, it's just trying to get back into the swing of just talking to each other again. Exactly. But uh, yeah, it almost goes along with... Uh, we're going to talk about today, and that is those projects that seem to linger and they just live on forever. Calling it the zombie projocalypse. Whoa. Yeah, those projects that die. We are the things that were and shall be again. <laughs> they're undead, so they're still there, they still linger, they're still always around, and they infect other projects as well. Hmm. Now, how do they do that? They do that by basically stealing and being parasites to resources that could be better devoted to other parts of the program. So uh, the term zombie project is is not new. I actually heard it about a year or so ago, and I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, it's absolutely perfect. That one that just won't die and actually slowly kills off the rest of the portfolio um, as more and more and more zombie projects start to fill up the portfolio when you have the situation where none of them are getting closed and they're all uh, battling for the same resources or they think they fixed the problem, but they never did and it just, just keeps coming back and back. Have you ever heard this term zombie project before? I have not actually till you brought it up to me. No, I have not. But I think with the context that you've explained it, I can... I can think of different scenarios right. that go that direction. Sure. So there's a couple different ideas on the zombie project and like why things become zombie projects. And you know, we're going to go through this and say, hey, you need to start killing off these zombie projects and uh, either kill the project or fix the problem underneath it. Right? Uh, some people might look at their portfolio and say, you know, it's really there's no difference between a project that's not moving anywhere and a project that we take off the books completely and say, you will not use it, because neither are really being resourced, right? You know, one's not being resourced, but it's on the books, and one's off the books completely. Pretty much. Yeah, you know, in, in a practical idea of that, but there's also the idea that, that those projects are still languishing, and without the official closure, they still could get could suck up some of the energy of the company and, they're going to pop up in people's minds. They're going to show up on people's lists, and they're still going to show up on some place that people say, hey, you know, uh, we still have to take care of this, and a decision to not kill it one way or another will suck up s still needlessly resources, even if it's just, hey, this thing is still on my list. What are we going to do about it? So if you're not going to do anything, mm -hmm. just get rid of it, right? Yeah, and I think there's a, you know, I think I'm sure we're going to be talking about some of the reasons why projects end up as you know, as we called it here, a zombie project, mm -hmm. or why does it keep lingering? And um, a couple of scenarios we can talk about as we uh, go through this podcast. Right. So what makes it a zombie project? I called it a living dead, consumes resources, 
never really provides any benefit, and it steals from others. So how do you recognize if you have one? And here I just say it moves slow, it smells bad, and people run away from it screaming. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the ways, one of the things I look for is how long has this project been open mm-hmm. for? You know, if it's if it's really not showing any sort of momentum, not showing any signs of progress being made, uh, somehow, you know, I think a good a good trend to keep an eye out for is are the meetings even happening regularly mm-hmm. or they are very infrequent? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are some of the things that I would consider as a as a first smell test <laughs> to see is it actually you know turning going to end up as a zombie project. Groovy. Right. Sometimes, yeah, are the meetings happening? Are actions being completed? And you may be the project manager on this. You may come a few meetings in a row and find, you know what, um, we've lost that team member. We've lost that team member. Other action items are not being completed. You look, you look as you go, and you're like, "Hmm, something strange is going on." That's when that's a good signal to say, "Hey, is this uh, has my cheese moved, right? Or is this a is yep. this a zombie project? Is this no longer important?" And in this case, if I'm the project manager, despite all the work I've put in there, if it's no longer important, I'm going to actually move to kill this project one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, in the situation I'm in now, we have project pipelines that are well over a year old you know they're just stacked up full of projects that are ready to be prioritized and each year obviously new priorities come and those get kicked further and further down the list literally hundreds of projects that are in queue and there you know there's hundreds of demaic projects where these were in the improved phase and they've asked for an it solution it said okay take a number and their number keeps moving that's a that's a recurring theme, I think, in every industry. Yeah, it sounds a lot like your green card application, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's it's like you know, the technology challenge. You know, I remember in my previous company, in the chemical manufacturing area, it used to be that way. Mm-hmm. I am in a financial services industry now. It's still the same still way. Still that way. Mm-hmm. And you are now, you know, you've been in three or four different industries now, and I'm guessing it's the same theme consistently. Right. You know, it's like anything related to an IT resource. And I think that's where, that's where Lean, I feel, is stronger in that aspect, where you're trying to make improvements little by little. Right. Uh, and, you know, you don't depend on technology as much to solve. I think technology is now to basically automate things. Right but your process becomes more efficient without that automation up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a lot of the, you know, in uh, in, uh, in my existing company, a lot of our work is already automated. It's, it's more now adding the additional checks and balances to make sure that automation doesn't, you know, is not ha- ruining the quality of the output that we're producing. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of is what we are trying to do a lot now. Uh, but at that point, again, trying to get some of these requests prioritized because as a company, we are always trying to get bigger and better in our technology capabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's just a big uh, queue. Right. And sometimes you get a project where the, there's a quality problem maybe and there's, they find that, oh, well, there's just too many order entry errors or, or something like data entry errors. And their solution ends up being, well, you know, the only way we can eliminate the human error factor is to automate and then they just jump yep. to automation and you know uh corporate IT is far less concerned with 
automating whatever form feed you're trying to do on this particular project, which is tiny in compared to the whole scheme of what they need to do for, you know, the billions of dollars of revenue that they support, right? Yeah, um, that they that they that they can generate additionally on top of what we're already generating. Right. Know? Yeah, because some of these projects are externally. They have other things that are externally focused that actually do go to generate revenue, and mm-hmm. they're not just focused on a small part of improving uh, a small process in one aspect of their business. So I'm always encouraging people to a put the idea of automation out of their mind. Don't even consider it until you've exhausted all other possibilities. One, I know about this queue, and I keep telling everybody, hey, there's a very long queue to get any automation done on your projects. Two, there's also a project aimed toward reducing that queue. So if you put a project in there, your chances rise are rising <laughs> that your project will be killed after you've already identified the improvements that you want to do. So put in some sort of multi-generational plan, Find out what you can do now that doesn't require automation and start getting some of those. Maybe if it's a manual process that you fix, you know, get a little bit more creative than just, well, I need an IT solution. That's sort of the challenges are facing uh, where I am. Yeah, I think it's similar across even in the other areas I've been. It's very, very similar. So that's how those some things become zombie projects. They just get put in the queue and they just take up, take up room. But there's also another one and I've seen this a lot, is those projects that actually keep coming back. You think you kill them, keep coming back, and you hear the term... Oh, no, you think you solved them. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or or you thought you solved them, but nobody really took action, so you killed it. And then somebody else thinks it's a, it's the greatest thing you have to do, and it comes back in life again. Right. Or you hear the, you hear the term, oh, last time we did this project, you know, or, or the term, oh, you know, this was interesting as a... There's two different, three different projects that really come to my mind, which was I got involved with StageGate deployment, which had been also deployed two years prior. And for whatever reason, nobody was using it, so we had to redo it so that people would use it. Guess what? Two years later, another executive decided he was going to redo it in his own image, and you know, eight years passed, and nobody in that organization used the StageGate. Nobody ever got to... The reasons why, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, myself included. This is one where I actually, we got to a point and we just watched the dysfunction among the executives who were in charge of owning this process. And it was clear they didn't want it. And the only one who wanted it was the CEO. And uh, long story short, everybody, wow, everybody is fired. <laughs> Every single one of them is gone from that organization. Now. In those moments when you're not sure the undead are really dead dead, don't get all stingy with your bullets. So there including was some the dysfunction, including the CEO <laughs> at this point. Yes. So um, I mean, I don't. But think he it's was anything the last to do with the stage gate. He was the last. I don't think go. it's anything to do with stage gate, but I think the. But you know, one of the root causes, which I feel is one of these particular scenarios in this case, is nobody really wanted to make that decision, or nobody really wanted to pull the trigger and say, "No, we are not going to do it." Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm seeing more and more is. There is a a nature or a trend where, you know, people are not comfortable saying no, mm-hmm. you know. So if this was, you know, the stage gate redeployment, no, you know, nobody wanted to take the time. Why did we fail the last time? Right. And, you know, we, we all say we did it, we do it, and we, we think we know it is, but I don't think a true retrospective 
is done with all the people involved to understand what what caused it to fail and how would it be different in the next attempt going mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. you know how would those risks be mitigated i think if ever something has to get re-kicked up again those are some basic needs that need to be done before even people weigh in to say do you relaunch it or retry it again right and there was another project, and you you recall the the gold project that our, our friend of ours took care of, right? Well, he saved a lot of money. Uh, a lot, a lot of money. Although most mm-hmm. most, it's kind of hush hush money, unfortunately, because um, you know they had been losing gold for about a million gold uh, dollars of gold a year out of their waste stream, and Groovy. they had employed several black belts, neither of which came up with a root cause. They all went away and said, "I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is." Uh, and you know, it finally took this black belt to say, you know what, I'm going to be a little, a lot more pushy on this, and I want to look in this spot. And lo and behold, he found it in that spot that it was, it was leaving the waste stream, and uh, it was quick at that point. As after he pushed the team beyond their comfort level, said, no, I'm not going to let you railroad me. We're going to take care of this, and and he really did solve the problem at that point. What what's interesting about that is. This this was a project that never should have come because we actually had a person who was in charge of making sure that the gold balanced out every day, right? So one one reason why this was a problem is because why this was a zombie project is because it was to make up for poor process management. You know, this is the kind of thing that'll always come back but, if the man if the process is not being managed properly. But I, you know, I I kind of disagree over there a little bit with you because. You know, the underlying reason is the process was not being managed well, so you needed to find a way to manage this process mm-hmm. well, which is what I'm guessing the black belt came in and solved for. Granted, the process owner who was working on it or needed to account for it at the end of every day didn't probably have the right tools or didn't know how to look for it right or wasn't trained appropriately to look to do his or her job right. And so in net effect, the process was broken. And then they needed to find a way to refix that process. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I would consider that necessarily a zombie project. I would consider it a zombie project if somebody attempted it multiple times, yes. which it sounded like it did previously. That also happened, yes. Yeah, so from that aspect, yes, I don't think the fact that, you know, it at that point you're almost telling any process owner who was not able to do their job right is uh, not a good candidate to ask for help for, an improvement mm. or some sort of change. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I take it back. That wasn't the issue. As a matter of fact, that person watching the books is the one that brought it up that last time that said, you know, and he took it away from management and, said, and he went directly to this person and said, I'm, I'm doing balance on these books and I keep seeing a problem here and um, can we do something about it? So I, I, t- I take it back. You're right. It It was not that particular part of the process management that was the problem uh, as a matter of fact it turned out to be the signal that there was a problem that needed to be fixed there are other circumstances however where I do believe that we've had some projects that were that kept coming up because as you turn them over to the people responsible they weren't picking up that responsibility and it was you know the projects just kept coming up to clean up after basically somebody who wasn't doing their job Got it. Remember mad cow disease? Well, mad cow became mad person, became mad zombie. It's a fast-acting virus that left you with a swollen brain, a raging fever, that made you hateful, violent. 
and gave you a really, really bad case of the munchies. Then I have the other example, which I'd probably add over here, is one of the ones I worked on. I think I worked on it twice. Mm. <laughs> Just product rationalization. Uh, this was where you know we wanted to re- keep evaluating our portfolio of what products we we actively manage and sell and hold inventory of uh, versus uh, you know some sort of a formula or a method or a process to sunset um, certain products at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And I think you know I I was part of a core team that initially worked on it. Eventually, I inherited it for the second time that <laughs> was uh, uh, as the black belt to work on that and you know and I would say even the second time when I went about it I was not successful in completely setting a process out for it because uh, I think the challenge in this particular one was none of the stakeholders I wouldn't say none all the stakeholders didn't see eye to eye on what things needed to happen right and none of the stakeholders wanted to None of the stakeholders nor the champion actually wanted to make a decision uh, or take a strong stance or a strong decision on, no, we are not going to do things a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of was the main reason why this project ended up uh, continuing to be a zombie project because it was attempted by, I want to say, multiple champions, multiple stakeholders. over, Over Over the course of 10 years. Over the course of, yes, a long time. And all of them, I feel, ended up in the same boat because nobody wanted to make that hard decision on, yeah, once we rationalize, we're not going to, once we sunset, we are not going to give it a rebirth, you know, a a year later or something of that sort, which was what kept happening all the time. As zombies began to outnumber humans, well, that's when you had to cut all emotional ties. If the girls in your neighborhood are now fucked up little monsters... Well, maybe it's time to stop driving carpool. Right, and you know what's also strange to me is to have... Rationalization is the core duty of a portfolio manager, a product portfolio manager. All the product managers every year should be killing products to make room for more profitable products, which means you actually have to kill products that are selling and not just the ones that already fell off of your portfolio and or zombie products. But we just had that refusal uh, among those product managers to to stop selling products. The 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 low the low margin, low volume products, they just could not um make that decision or would not, really. They just mm-hmm. refused for yeah. whatever reason and they were fine with having a extremely large portfolio because as far as they were concerned, they had no idea how it affected and impacted operations. And if forget if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, marketing never said, hey, we need help on figuring out how to make a process to uh, rationalize our products. It was always operations that said, hey, we get stuck making these products that we haven't touched in five years or so. Uh, or that, or that we, not, we haven't made a profit in five years or so. That's that's <laughs> kind of where it was. I don't. I mean, we were still selling, you know, some sort of amount on it, but it wasn't. It was never profitable, and it was costing more uh, to maintain that than it was from what we were generating revenue off of it. It was creating a supply problem, an inventory yeah. problem, and a uh, frankly just a nuisance. Like you're, you look at the order, and you're like, well, what the heck is this product? 
Um, why is this interrupting the flow of everything else? Mm-hmm. So exactly. yeah, they mar- there's the point. The the marketing never asked for it, and it was always somebody else who was the customer mm-hmm. or a st- another stakeholder in it who was asking for this project to be done. But marketing themselves never really cared. I don't think I. I mean, I think it was. It was marketing the final time when I was pushing for it, but at that point it wasn't well, really it wasn't really sales who was supporting the marketing decisions based off of that. It was the CEO again. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you had you you did have a lot more marketing support that time. But strangely enough, even though and you came up with a whole different tactic on how to do it, it still went away. It still, it still never it still never got killed, right? Yeah, or yep. finished. Yep, exactly. All right, let's talk about root causes. I think we've already touched on several of them already. So one is that it's actually not very important, and you're going to get limited support. It doesn't really support the strategy or manager's metrics. Trust me, if if it's not in line with their metrics, it's probably not going to get done, and or they just don't think it's possible or necessary to be done, like the stage gate. You know, stage gate, there was an idea that, that we actually don't have a problem here, or previous projects they never identified the root causes and they never corrected them or they just the control plan when they put it in place it wasn't really adhered to and it was a poor execution of that yeah that happens a lot i think is you know again that's the whole control piece which you know is the final piece if you're doing a demake project is where you want to make sure that there are there is the ability to flag things if it goes off track or off sure yep and you know a lot of the project teams and i think that it comes down to the process owner uh, and the responsibility associated with that. Uh, they just don't, you know, either they were not bought in completely with this fix or the solutions or they mm-hmm. just don't find it important enough anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I feel that failing significantly in many cases. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. Did you know E6S Industries delivers custom training? We'll customize a program to meet your unique continuous improvement needs. We're also experienced keynote and motivational speakers to professional organizations and universities. Contact us on our website, www.esuccess-methods.com, and let us help you chart your journey through success. It's also, the, you know, the project managers are not off the hook on this one. We, we can continue I can continue to look upstream and blame uh, management for not really supporting this. Uh, but the project manager often, they have to deal with resistance and Sometimes you have to be persistent against that resistance. So project managers, don't let yourself get railroaded by stakeholders. There are going to be people who don't want this. Um, And if you're not following the data or looking for the data and you're just going based off of what people say, that could steer you down the wrong path, could steer you down to um, fizzling fizzling out and just kind of abandoning your project. And if you're not challenging the old ways and, and program managers, don't let project managers get away with letting projects die on the grapevine when somebody when you look at your portfolio and your program and you say oh well what's going on with that project and somebody says oh i don't know i haven't heard about that in many months you've got a problem and you need to not let it just hang out there forever 
Yeah, I mean, you know, being somebody who's worked a little bit with that uh, challenge of managing stakeholders, I think it's a it's a big challenge. It's a big fact. Uh, mm. You know, a lot of a lot of us struggle because now you have a bunch of senior folks who are probably your stakeholders giving you feedback that things need to be a certain way and they completely disagree with the direction that the project team's headed. Right. And, you know, that's something that as a project leader, you have to be prepared to handle. And uh, I think our, we had a couple of episodes on stakeholder analysis and how to get some allies because if you don't have any allies and if your champion's not strong enough to voice that, uh, you know, why you as a team are headed in a particular direction with the data that you have, Mm-hmm. then chances are you are not going to be successful. So, right. you know, I would I would definitely recommend, you know, if you haven't heard our episodes earlier, it, you know, I'm just looking at our list. It's, I think, episode 24 to 26. Kind of just look at that. Uh, it's, it's all about stakeholder analysis. How do you get people to buy into some of the topics you're working on? Uh, and if, if you don't have that support, you know, I can probably almost say more than, if you don't have all those stakeholders supporting you, more than 70% of your projects are going to languish and end up sure. as a solo project. Oh, yes, absolutely. And you'll be able to tell because you yourself won't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Exactly. You'll be looking <laughs> at it. It'll smell bad. You're just like, oh, God, I just don't want to go near that, yeah. um, but uh, but I'm scared to kill it. And so one thing that I'll say is is you as the project manager, and I wish more companies did this. Most companies don't do this. Project managers should be rewarded if they find that their project is no longer within the strategy and they kill it, you know, no, none of them get rewarded for killing their projects uh, midstream, but they really ought to be because that proves that they've got their eye and their pulse on the company and the strategy, and they're willing to save the company's money and not just needlessly waste it by pursuing a project that is no longer important. So I say if you think you have a zombie project, go ahead, cut it off by its head, and you can do this in a number of ways. You either finally get to that real root cause, the system, or maybe the political issue, your stakeholders, and correct it forever, or you kill the project before it goes too far. There's another option, though. You can uh, also, zombies, they don't they don't uh, attack your projects uh, very well if they're cut into small pieces. <laughs> so if you find that you can cut the project into smaller, more manageable chunks, smaller scoped tasks... Maybe you can tackle it a little bit better that way rather than having a full full project. Maybe you put it into smaller pieces that can be achieved. Um, maybe not necessarily in a timely manner, but at least they're achieved and completed. So, I mean, I think one of the reasons I'm facing, you know, in the, with the zombie project, the challenge is, you know, we set ourselves aggressive goals. Mm. Uh, you know, we don't follow the 70% to entitlement sort of a feel. Right. And, you know, trying to push the boundaries or the envelope to see can you get to that level sometimes can result in projects being zombie projects. Okay. Um, it's a challenge and it's something that, you know, the stakeholders all need to acknowledge that when you're putting a goal as a lofty goal, you're probably setting that for expectations. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's it's finding that fine point between let's close this project but still empower the team to do continuous improvement to get mm-hmm. to that fact mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of teams once they feel that the project is closed they don't necessarily take the ownership or accountability to do continuous improvement on that so i think it's it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation where right. you want to get into that culture of 
continuous improvement and empower the team, but you feel that the team's not empowered unless the project's open. Okay. You know? So that's that's something which could happen in many cases that can result in why a project can end up as a zombie project. You know, that, that is a, you know, a, a practical exercise. You know, lofty goals are great. Um, if you're getting, you know, if say you're doing a yield improvement project and you've gotten the yield up from 80% to uh, 98%, huge gains. Um, the But getting from 98% to 99.99% is going to take at least as much effort as it took to get from 80% to 98%. So you have to wonder what are the, what are the, there's diminishing returns the closer you get to that. So that's where you go back to your portfolio. Is this important? Yes. Is it more important than other things we have going on in our portfolio? Probably not. There might, there's probably something else um, on the horizon that you will want to redeploy your resources for rather than moving Moving the peg, you know, over one point, one point nine nine percent. Absolutely, um, no, I, you know? I, I don't disagree there. But I think that's, you know, that's some of the reasons why I've also encountered some projects ending up as ones that are open forever. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that I'm, I guess what I'm just saying is, champions and and up uh, higher level managers should also be cognizant of the the effort it takes to when you're getting to that point in the project, the effort it takes to finish off those final touches uh, is uh, sometimes has diminishing returns. Yeah, definitely. So, some ideas on how to avoid your project from turning into a zombie. So, we told you what to do if you have one, if you notice you have one. Um, but what if you have a project and you just want to avoid it? One way that I think to avoid it, I've already mentioned it, is go with the multi-generational plan approach. You know, early on you can find some quick wins, and you can get that in place. And um, if necessary, you implement a manual process instead of waiting waiting for that ultimate final product or that ultimate final automated improvement that many of us so desire. We have to do something in the meantime. Um, and if something gets killed while it's in the improved phase and somebody else's priority list and doesn't get prioritized then at least you have something that has become a benefit um, as a result of earlier work. Yeah, and, you know, and along with the multi-generation plan approach, I mean, you know, I've been actually reading a lot about this whole agile methodology now, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with the Scrum, and one of the things that has been crossing my mind, and I still have to flush it out, the details behind it is, you know, if specifically if you've reached that improvement sort of an area where you have your implementation plan put together and you're trying to get through putting or driving those things towards future state, a lot of things get lost because, you know, people start losing interest at that point of the project mm-hmm. because now people yeah. have to start doing work and there's, there's, a, there's that people have to start doing work and people are not seeing results soon enough. Right, right. And I think those are the two factors. If I would do a, a Pareto, which probably would come to the top on why some projects lose momentum. Uh, and what I've been thinking is, you know, break the actions out into some sort of bite-sized chunks, which is kind of what you're talking about, multi-generation plan. But I would say even smaller. Small, even smaller, yeah. Even mm-hmm. smaller to say, what can I accomplish in the next two weeks? And yep. as a team, or, you know, it could be two weeks, it could be a week, it could be two days, you know, whatever time frame you decide. And then show wins as you are 
breaking those work down into smaller bite-sized chunks. So, you know, to continue that momentum, the team says, hey, we did this change and see how it impacted everything. So you kind of try to get it down into that sort of a rhythm or a cycle, and that can make your implementation plan probably move. It might take longer, but you are continuously seeing what you're delivering mm-hmm. and you're releasing out and changing and hopefully that will translate into improvements. So that's a different, you know, different way on how you can break the work down and see what can you get done. Cool. Right. Just another, no, no, it's absolutely great. Uh, and that, uh, so the size of your chunks would be the size of a deliverable, a big enough deliverable, uh, for when it's completed, you know, it moves the needle a little bit. And as you keep doing these, you have a you have a continuous moving of the needle uh, in the right direction, right? Yeah, because and, right now what happens, in, you know, at least from what I've experienced is, you know, you had the core project team, you, you come out with an implementation plan that's probably 15 things long, and pretty much everybody takes three of these and runs with themselves and forms another subcommittee team to get some of these done. And everybody is now in each other's way or something needs to get done to get something done. Uh, rather than go in that sort of fashion because you're still probably utilizing the same amount of resources mm-hmm. uh, rather than doing it that way. As a core team, you're you're still prioritizing of all your actions what need to get done first. Based on those priority, all of you work into some sort of a deliverable sort of a bite-sized chunk and then deliver that and see half the things you, that you wanted to do moving the needle. If not, you probably have to reevaluate before it's too far out. What are the improvements you wanted to make and maybe make changes to that. Right. So in one scenario, you're what you're describing, it sounds like in both scenarios, the same amount of work is being done. But in one scenario, um, you have five tasks that are each 80% complete, which means that all of them are in queue and none of them uh, have 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 been delivered. And yep. move or move the move the needle, um, whereas in another one you'd have four tasks complete that moves the needle up four tasks, and there's a fifth task that's incomplete, right? Exactly. But all the that's same a, amount of work has been done. Absolutely, that's great. That's a, great idea. That, that's a math way to do it, I guess, with the example. Yeah, Thank I think you for I think that. you just invented a new thing, Jake. What do you think? Uh, I I I have I might have to copyright it sooner than well, later. We'll call it uh, the Korean Agile. Sure. <laughs> no, it's. I don't even. I don't think it's agile. I think it's more, you know, something that can be used for implementation. It's. It's probably how do you, you know, I'm. I've been thinking how does lean and agile work hand in hand, and I. I see the implementation part, which is actually what agile is really doing. Is if you are trying to release something or implement something, how do you go about doing it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, this might be one of the ways how lean and agile actually work, in a cooperative way. <laughs> Cool. Or, or even Six Sigma and Agile work in a cooperative way. I don't think it should be just at lean. No, that's true. So another way, um, and we kind of already talked about this, or at least alluded to it, there is a risk. When you are done with your project, there is a risk saying, okay, we've done our define, measure, and analyze. We have our recommendations. Now here, new people, you take it the rest of the way. So you give it off either to a new implementation department or an IT department that has to do some sort of uh, implementation or creation of something new or if you're giving it to a uh, like a project management department to carry it across the goal line that you give up quite a bit of control in the completion of your project once you once you do that so I think that wherever 
possible, you should avoid relying on those outside resources to imp impact the timing of your project where possible. So as I said, the term zombie project is not new. I've actually included three links in the show notes to three different articles or blogs about zombie projects. All right, Jacob, what else do we have on zombie projects? Anything else? No, I mean, again, you know, it's just be conscious about how, you know, about the different things that we talked about in this episode. Make sure that, you know, if things are not moving well or if you start seeing attendance in your meetings go down or if actions are not getting done, uh, chances are you're probably headed in that direction. Just keep your eye out for that because, again, the consequence of ending up in a zombie project mode is actually demoralizing or demotivating for not just mm -hmm. you, but probably for the entire organization. So, or at least minimum your team and maybe a Definitely couple of others beyond that. Yeah. So, you know, be conscious about that and try to see if you can mitigate that before it happens. Yeah, and I've definitely, in my past, let my team down when they came up, you know, a year or so later and they said, hey, you know, that StageGate project, you know, whatever happened with that? We did a lot of work on it, whatever came of that. And I just looked at that and I said, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just kind of went away and, and uh, I never chased it down. Yep. So, all right, just a, a real quick recap. Zombie projects are the kinds of projects that end up being undead. They either never go away or they keep coming back because people have never fixed the root cause or they never were really important. But they end up robbing resources from the rest of your project portfolio um, of people who could actually be concentrating on some other things. So if you have a zombie project, get rid of it either by doing it, finally getting it done right or by killing it from the portfolio if you, in order to avoid a zombie project, you can follow either multi-generational plan approach or break something down into smaller bit-sized chunks so that implementation doesn't have to wait for one final result. You can do the agile methodology or similar methodology that Jacob described, cutting into smaller chunks. That way you're, you're making progress all along the way. But uh, all in all, you have two choices. You can either kill the project or finish it. Better off finishing it. But if you're not going to finish it and it looks like your company has moved on without you, be the big person, kill your own project, and tell the company, this is what I think we should do because this is no longer appears to be important to the company. I would like to focus on something that is more important to the company. What do you think, Mrs. or Mr. Champion? Anything else, Jacob? Nope, that's it. Groovy. All right, thanks a lot, Jacob. All right, Aaron, have a good one. All right, thanks, everyone. We are the things that were and shall be again. Death of the book. We want what is yours. Life. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. Remember Mad Cow disease? While Mad Cow became Mad Person, became Mad Zombie. It's a fast-acting virus that left you with a swollen brain, a raging fever, that made you hateful, violent, and gave you a really, really bad case of the munchies. In those moments when you're not sure the undead are really dead dead, don't get all stingy with your bullets. Hooray! 